It ain't the left side or the right side. Then it must be the fence side. Thank you, Solody. Welcome to another episode of On the Fin Side here with Kat and Paul. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Also, check out our Twitter handles, BrianCatNFL and Fanatic underscore pick for continued Miami Dolphins football as we continue to move along to the season coming up here. So, the Dolphins were victorious 22-7 to over the Jacksonville Jaguars this past Thursday. And I didn't see the game till Sunday night. My wife and I were on an Alaskan cruise. Poor me. Um, that was our deal. I did not uh, see the game till Sunday night, but I did see it and rewatched it too. So we won't dig too, too far into the game because we're going to focus on some Dolphins news as well as our 53-man roster prediction. But we're going to interweave some game day observations here from the Jaguars game but before we even get started Paul and you know that we don't talk about anything other than Dolphins news on here a lot but we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Andrew Luck I mean this is a guy that when the Dolphins were 0-7 in the 2011 season there was the whole suck for luck possibility the Dolphins ended up going on a run they drafted Ryan Tannehill at number eight Andrew Luck calls it a career here this past Saturday at 29 years old. What was your first reaction? I thought it was a hoax, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm I'm sorry, but you're supposed to be the leader of the team and you call it quits after the third preseason game. You couldn't even give your team the respect of, you know, showing up to training camp and saying, uh, my heart's not in it. I mean, it just it just seemed like a coward's way out, and there was no ulterior motive that we know of other than like, nah, I just don't feel like it anymore. And you're really, really putting a lot of friends, um, colleagues, et cetera, in a really piss-poor position at, from an all-important position right on the cusp of the start of the season. I could not agree with you more. And what I can't stand what other people are saying is, well, you know, it, it, it reminds me of the Ricky Williams situation, except this is much, much worse. I mean, I'm sorry, but you are the leader of a $2.4 billion franchise. You were clearly the face of that organization. And when I first heard that Luck was going to retire, I thought it was a situation with his arm from a couple of years ago where – it was it was a possibility that he wasn't even going to play that year. But there were no problems like that. There, he has a calf injury that should be okay in a couple of weeks. It is two weeks before the season begins. And I hate this politically correct bullshit that, you know what, we should respect the guy's wishes. His heart wasn't in it. No, I mean, it is two weeks before the start of the NFL season. He is very clearly the leader of that team. They geared this roster by signing players, you know, like Justin Houston to big, big money to make a run at the Super Bowl. It, it's it's incredible to me. Yeah, I mean, it would it, almost be like me taking the kid and saying, hey, look, we're going to go to Disney in six months and hyping him up every week leading up to it. And then the week before we leave going, eh, nah. And him going, what? Why? Eh, don't feel like it. And just, you know, I mean, 
Yeah, what yeah, a freaking letdown. Just don't want to do it. Yeah, just don't feel it, like it. It's a, it's a letdown, and it's a letdown for us as football fans, too, because this is one of my favorite players in the league. And but it's it's not just about that. You can retire anytime you want, but if you want to retire, do it the right way. Do what Rob Gronkowski did. Do what Calvin Johnson did. Retire in February and March. Think about it and retire whenever you want. Don't do it two weeks before the season. So yeah, and, it's, and it's really is, a shame. But this, this is not a backup corner retiring at halftime, which was also goofy and hilarious. But this is the, as you pointed out, face of a franchise. Just suddenly walking in one day and going, you know, I don't feel like doing this. Eh, I'm out. And Andrew Luck has dealt with a lot of injury problems. There's no doubt about that. But it's it shocks me that this was the final straw. And it, supposedly he has been thinking about this for weeks. And I... I just don't get it. It disappoints me as a football fan. I think we're going to see Andrew Luck come back in a couple of years, but I'm not sure if I'd believe a word of what he says as a leader. I mean, it's it's very clear that he is is he's going to take off when he just feels like he's not into it anymore. He's dealt with a lot. Let me get that straight. But you can't do this. It, it's it is one hundred percent about the timing of the situation. It's mostly about the timing of the situation, but it also, for me, brings me to another point. I mean, there were a ton of Dolphins fans when Andrew Luck was coming out that had that whole "suck for luck" mentality, and it just exacerbates the point that you never. No. So I'm really glad the Dolphins didn't devastate a season to devastate basically a second season here going into into the 2019 season. Because if they devastated a season to get this guy, right in what should be the prime of his career, he just hangs it up right before the season starts. That's two seasons you're potentially devastating to to go after a player that you know you just don't know with. If Andrew Luck were healthy throughout his career, and he's going in, he would have been going into his eighth year. I think he would have been an all-time great. I, I think he's done an incredible job to this point, dealing with the injuries, dealing with everything, with the expectations of being that, you know, John Elway type of number one pick. But man, oh man, this—I'd be lying if I said this was not a big, a big problem. But my bigger, my bigger problem is the is the reaction from people saying. Well, you know, it's it's uh, you've got to respect his wishes. That is such politically correct nonsense. He quit on his team. He didn't retire. Stop using the word retire. And I'll go a step further. It doesn't surprise me either that he defended Jonathan Martin. Um, so, Paul, let's move along because otherwise we can spend a whole, a whole podcast on this because I'm starting to get pissed off. So some other news and some really good news on the Dolphins front. Jakeem Grant. Contract extension, four years, $24 million, a player that that we want to see on this team long-term. And if he hadn't gotten hurt last year, I mean, this was a no-brainer for the Pro Bowl as a returner and should have been used on the field more. But a lot of the counter-argument to that is four years, $24 million for a player that, you know, is not a 60-70 catch guy. So, what was your reaction to this uh, to this contract extension? 
Oh, I absolutely love it. I mean, you know, both from on-air and off-air conversations we've had, I'm a huge, huge, huge Takeem Grant fan. And we can't discount the fact that, yeah, he has not been a 60-70 catch-a-year guy. Maybe he never will be. But he also was playing in in a system under Adam Gase where you were punished for doing well. You were punished for just if, – if you made ridiculously good plays, you rode pine unless you were one of Gase's boys. And so we're looking at a system this year where they're going to find innovative – and ingenious ways to utilize the personnel and their skill sets. So this really could be an investment in the future where we see that $6 million a year be an underpaid wideout, not an overpaid wideout. So I, I, I think it's completely well, an investment I don't think, in the future. I don't, think Grant, I don't think Grant was punished under Gase for, you know, I mean, I, th- I think you're saying that kind of ironically <laughs> when it comes to, you know, someone like Grant being punished because he had his own type of guys, which is absolutely true. But he, what killed me about that is Jakeem Grant would, for example, in the Raiders game, when he and Albert Wilson were on the field at the same time and just magic happened in the fourth quarter. And then the next game, you don't see Jakeem Grant at all against the Patriots in a game where you have to win. And this was your big playmaker from the game before. So I, what I'm excited about is number one, I think that if, if you resign a kick, in my opinion, one of the best kick returners and punt returners in the league, that alone is worth close to $6 million. Um, and on the other side of that too, if it's also an indication that they're going to use Jakeem Grant a lot more on a down to down basis, which they should, because in my opinion, this might be the best, wide receiver the Miami Dolphins have, at least one of the most electrifying ones on the team. He completely is. I mean, you look at just in training camp alone, not only the fact that he seems to roast every corner on the roster who who seems to step on the field, but also you see him working with the young corners, working with them on how to defend against moves that he's got. I mean, he's really stepped into a bit of a leadership role as well, and, and – I know a lot of fans didn't expect that of him when he got drafted. Let's face it. He doesn't check every box out there when you're talking about physical attributes. Uh, But Grant really, really has the stuff to do some special things on a game in game out basis. And then the kick and punt return aspect is, is just an absolute bonus on top of that. And he is really a boundary receiver, even though his size doesn't indicate that. Uh, I I really think that he is kind of a poor man's Tyreek Hill and that you can use him outside on that boundary. You can use him in motion a lot. And I'm really excited that Chad O'Shea and Brian Flores have seen that this is a player that you, that you need to use creatively. And they've seen that quickly. It's a very good evaluation of talent on their part. Uh, A player on the chopping block here, really just a couple hours before we started recording this, TJ McDonald was axed, and he was due $5.1 million in salary. Didn't seem to fit in this type of defense, especially with moving Bobby McCain to the free safety position. And McDonald was kind of that safety linebacker hybrid, and the Dolphins have some players like Sam Aguavion, 
and Raquan McMillan and Jerome Baker were starting to step up a lot at that linebacker spot. So it didn't seem like there was a big fit here for TJ McDonald, who didn't have a very good Dolphins career. He didn't. I mean, he, he was being asked to do some things that weren't in his skill set. I know the linebacker safety hybrid was something we've talked about on the show extensively since he was signed as being the ideal role for him. But in reality, I mean, the Dolphins have two highly paid or had two highly paid better in the box safeties out there. And it sure looks like they probably put some of the Rashad Jones trade rumors to rest when they, when they, parted ways with TJ McDonald. I think that kind of solidifies Rashad's role, at least for the 2019 season, unless the Dolphins get blown away with an offer. Yeah, I don't, I agree with you. And I, I think the Dolphins have tried to trade Rashad Jones and it's quite obvious that the team's not going to, not going to give up a draft pick and $12 million to get a Rashad Jones. But yeah, I mean, TJ McDonald, I actually think would be a good signing for another team like the chargers who just lost Derwin James for an extended period of time. If you can sign him for three or 4 million a year, just plan him in its strong safety, which the dolphins were never able to do. Then I think he's going to be a pretty good player for another team. Let's talk about a couple other just trade rumors that are, that are flying around out there. And I'll just throw out a name and you let me know what you think on it. First, uh, let's start with the most interesting one over the last couple of weeks, wide receiver Kenny Stills. You know, he is a home run threat. He really is. We've talked about that extensively on the show. Uh, I don't have an issue with some of the things that he does because he does put his money where his mouth is as far as doing ride-alongs, et cetera, off the field. But regardless of the fact that he does have that home run threat ability, I I think there's a very realistic possibility we see Kenny Stills traded. For one, he's at a position of strength for this team where there's going to be some hard roster cuts anyhow at the wide receiver position. Uh, You look at how Isaiah Ford shined or shown in the uh, Jaguars game. And he's not the best at the position. He's not the most reliable at the position. And whether you agree with Steven Ross and some of the things he does that are just opposite or hypocritical in a way by throwing a Trump rally when he's got his rise foundation and some of the things that different folks stand for, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but it's very contradictory. Some of the things I'm sorry, you don't have a first year head coach step in and basically call out the owner and then call out the NFL for their Jay-Z partnership with rock nation. It's, very hypocritical and it puts Brian Flores in an almost have to move you situation because I'm sorry, he's a first year head coach and you're calling out the owner and the league and the talent does not exceed the noise when that happens. And that that's a big critical thing. We saw it in the past with some talented wide receivers out there that once the noise exceeded the talent, you know, see Chad Ochocinco, see Terrell Owens, it started to get to be a much harder situation. So maybe Kenny needs a fresh start with an owner that he agrees with at least as far as everything goes out there. But, you know, I'll be sad to see him go, but hopefully Miami can get a return for him. Yeah, and I think you you nailed it right there by saying that the noise is exceeding the talent. Because I'm not going to get into either. You know, I I think Kenny Stills is a fantastic human being in terms of what he – 
about how he puts his money where his mouth is. He does the ride-alongs. He organizes, you know, breakfast and lunch between police officers and uh, members of the community to build trust. I mean, who does that in their off time? But I don't agree with the things that he's done over the last few weeks. I also don't agree with what Brian Flores did in terms of trying to egg things along by playing that uh, eight Jay-Z songs in a row, as ridiculous as that sounds. But we could go on and on about that. I think he has value as a deep threat. He still does for the Dolphins. Going to a place like the Houston Texans, where you could be a really good number two receiver, I could see some value. I don't think they'll end up moving Kenny Stills because the reality is whether you disagree with them or agree with them, we've seen it with Colin Kaepernick. We've seen it with Eric Reed. That is part of the package now. And that's something that you have to deal with. And I also think it would be a PR nightmare for the Dolphins if they were to move Kenny Stills because nobody in the mainstream is going to understand that you moved Kenny Stills because he was declining a little bit and because Preston Williams uh, needs to get on the field. So I, I, I hope that they can get a little something for him, but I'm, I'm not sure if it's even worth the PR nightmare. Let's uh, move along. <laughs> Next one's an easy one. Uh, Kiko Alonso. Sure. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, you, you name it, we'll give it. Anybody that's listened to the show knows exactly how I feel here. It's, yeah, if you look on paper, Kiko's been a lot better than he has if you look with your eyes. It's, he's a mess. He is an absolute mess. He's probably the most physically gifted person, like individual on the Dolphins' defense. I, I, I'll completely give him that all day. But he's probably the absolute dumbest individual in the Dolphins' defense as well. And the mistakes far outweigh um, what he does out there. I mean, he is a player you might be able to get a return for, but – given the emergence of Sam Aguavian, given the fact that Jerome Baker seems to be the best player on the Dolphins' defense right now, given the fact that Rake McMillan is a young and promising player as well, a linebacker, given the fact that they've got undrafted free agents in you know, Terrell Hanks and others, it, it's, you know, do you pay this guy that much money to be a damn backup that comes in situationally unless you can turn him into some form of edge rusher he has no value to this team other than being an absolute cap anchor yeah and the dolphins would save only four million dollars by cutting him but even if it were five hundred thousand i would cut him because for the exact reasons you laid out there i mean as far as pure linebackers and and that's how we have to look at it in this defense Jerome Baker's going to be on the field a lot. Sam Aguavion, Raekwon McMillan are going to be on the field a lot. So you've got your top three guys right there. And then you've got in the bottom half, you've got Trey Watts and you've got Terrell Hanks, who I think are rosterable types of players. So if the Dolphins can get anything for Alonzo, you, you take it. I don't think they will, but I think he ends up getting cut anyway, as we'll get to a little bit later here in the show. So, and I, I hesitate with these next two players, Paul, because I'm not even sure if it's worthy to bring up, but it is being talked about here in Dolphins Twitter and among the Dolphins community. Laramie Tunzel, 
it seems to me like a much ado about nothing. Um, there was a tweet that was sent out from a pro football network and a lot of people out there that I, I very much respect on that. And I think it was more of a vague comment that kind of blew up a little bit, but Laramie Tunzel, basically the tweet to paraphrase it was that he, everybody on the Dolphins roster was tradable. It seems like a generic vague comment from a source and you know, that that started to blow up a lot. My question to you to cut through everything, would you trade Laramie Tunzel for even two first-round draft picks? Two first-round picks. Oof. Um, I believe I can, in Chris I Greer. can answer that for you because we, 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 we already but, disagree before you, you say a word. I, I would I would oh. not. Because you're going to if, – if you trade him, for example, to the Texans for two first-round picks, I mean, a 23-year-old top five left tackle in the NFL, yeah, I, I can't do it. And at a certain point, I have to start asking, even if for people who are excited by it, and I'm not saying you are at all, that no. – um, like, how many draft picks do you need, you know? No, and I agree, and and I just had to weigh it for a minute. I mean, for me, when you're a team that has as much cap space as you do next year and you have as many draft picks as you do next year and you're showing that you want to invest in your youth, your future, your drafted players that you've brought in in in-house and you've got a cornerstone left tackle, I hate to say it, but with all these young players, they could very easily set up a contract if they were to extend him that was very front-loaded into next season, which would eat up a little bit bit of that huge cap space they have, but sets you up with some of these young guys so that you've given Tunzel a little more money up front uh, for the beginning of next year, but it's a very you can make it a very palatable contract from there so that when some of these other young guys come up, you've got the cap space in place to be able to, to sign your guys, retain your own and still have a damn talented roster at that point in time. So yeah, no, I, I wouldn't give up Tunsil, especially when you're in a unique position to sign him to the big contract without destroying your cap future. Yeah. And I think a lot of people forget a lot that Laramie Tunzel before the gas mask incident, which, by the way, he's completely waived all of that by being by putting his head down and working his butt off. This was the consensus top two or top three pick in the 2016 NFL draft who fell to 13. And we didn't even talk about him on our pre-draft shows because we didn't think he'd be there. And when you look at look at him play the left tackle spot, it, it looks completely effortless and the only thing he needs to do to take the next step is cut down the penalty because he has had a lot. But this is also still a very, very young man with elite physical skills. So, no, I, I don't buy anything with Tunzel. I see the Dolphins making him a very rich man at that left tackle spot. Jadavian Clowney is somebody who's been mentioned here and there, too. And, you know, there was a there was word out there that Clowney would be traded very very shortly to somebody probably not the Dolphins so this is a player that if you sign to a long-term contract extension he's 25 years old former number one overall pick 
pro, coming off a Pro Bowl season. Is this somebody that you would trade for? And if so, what would you give up for him? For me, it would completely, completely depend upon what he is looking for as far as that long-term contract. The fact that he already supposedly vetoed the idea of signing long-term with the Dolphins kind of has me in a hesitant position. I wouldn't give up a lot for a guy in the final year of his contract when you're really in a build for the future season, unless you're able to lock him up long-term in a reasonable fashion. And so I don't think a deal gets done unless they've got a deal in place for the future because Miami, while they're going to do what they can to win what they can this year, they're going to be better than a lot of these idiots out there putting it, but they're not going to mortgage a chunk of cap space for somebody that's not even going to be here potentially beyond the 2019 season. Yeah, I, I look at Clowney, and even though six, seven, three hundred pounds on paper coming off a, a Pro Bowl season, it, it, I don't see in any way it working out. And it, I, I don't know if he's going to get traded, but he, he seems to me to be an alpha off the field and not necessarily an alpha on it. So I, I don't see that anything close getting done there. Hypothetically, would I trade a second round pick and give him a lot of money? Eh, I. Probably not still because it goes against the Dolphins' need, you know, desire to really stockpile picks to land that quarterback spot. So speaking of the quarterback position, the Dolphins did defeat the Jaguars 22-7. to The main story in this game was Ryan Fitzpatrick and Josh Rosen. Ryan Fitzpatrick did start the game, that ever-important third game, the dress rehearsal. He uh, put up pretty decent numbers, you know, 12 for 18, 118 yards and a touchdown early in the third quarter to running back Mark Walton, but did start the game too, 0 for 3 on the first three plays of the of the game when the Dolphins got the ball. Josh Rosen comes in and he goes 5 for 7 for 59 yards, throws a big play to Isaiah Ford. Looked very elusive in the pocket, and that's what I've seen from game to game to game, Paul. Josh Rosen has gotten better at. You know, it seems like he's seen the field better. He's moving his feet a lot uh, a lot more ahead of the curve than what he was doing before. So I guess the major question on everybody's mind is right now, do you want Josh Rosen or Ryan Fitzpatrick to be starting week one against the Baltimore Ravens? To me at this point, it's a no-brainer. Uh, it should be Josh Rosen. He had some very elite moments. He had some very elite throws. He's shown improvement throughout each and every preseason game to the point where, for me, uh, I want to see what we've got with Josh Rosen and to the point where I wouldn't even be super uncomfortable, especially in a season that is about rebuilding and building for the future. If Miami can get anything in day one or day two for Ryan Fitzpatrick out of the Colts after this Andrew Luck noise, I would probably take it at this point and just sink or swim with, with Rosen in 2019. Yeah. I, I want Josh Rosen to be starting week one against the Ravens too. And, you know, what a lot of people are saying too, is that, you know, when it comes to Rosen, 
we don't want to ruin him too early by putting. I mean, this I, I I don't buy that. This is a second year player in the league, and I watch him play, and I feel like mechanically and seeing the field, he's above Fitzpatrick, who's not very good in that arena to begin with. Uh, yeah, I Fitzpatrick. I think if 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 the Colts made an offer, it'd probably be a late round pick. But they they they're also in desperation mode too. So who, who the heck would know in that situation? So we've obviously got Josh Rosen and Ryan Fitzpatrick as our two quarterbacks. We have all along at the running back spot against the Jaguars. Kenyon Drake did not play. Kalen Balage had a very unimpressive game. Not a lot of holes, but 12 carries for 17 yards. Also two catches for negative two. And it, it seems like too that every time we we get on this show talking about preseason games, Patrick Laird is continuing to make plays and he could right now, I mean, it's, it's starting to look very likely that he's going to make this roster as the third or fourth running back. What I also like too is Mark Walton, even though he only had six carries for three yards, again, not a lot of holes in this contest, very good blocking. And he's, he's kind of filling that Frank Gore type role as a blocking running back. So overall to get back to my, to my original point, I have five running backs making the team if we include Chandler Cox. Uh, we've got Kenyon Drake, Kalen Balage, Mark Walton, Patrick Laird, and at fullback we've got Chandler Cox. Are those your five as well, or did you go a different direction? No, I'm actually right there with you on it, and, and I'm glad you brought up Chandler Cox because this was the game where I finally got on the Chandler Cox bandwagon. It's he did some absolutely special things in this game. I mean, you saw plays where he was running over one guy and getting to the next and, and leading the play like the damn water boy. Uh, and absolutely, uh, I'm with you 100%, and I can't wait to see Drake get back out there. And I think Laird not only has made a case to make the roster, he's made a case to get a few meaningful snaps once we get into the regular season. And just to stick on Kalen Blage for a minute, and I'll throw out a prediction here: is by the end of the year, Kalen Blage is going to be the fourth running back on this team. I I understand the traits when it comes to Kalen Blage, but when I watch him try to hit holes, and when I watch him in the passing game, there's something about him that it just doesn't seem like he gets it. And now we've seen Mark Walton and Laird by comparison. I think those are two running backs that do get it. They get their heads turned around quickly in the passing game. They block well. They pick up their assignments. And the biggest compliment with Balazs that I always hear is, well, if he gets a big giant hole and gets downhill, you know, he can break a big run. Well, I mean, isn't that true for any running back? <laughs> so I, I think Kalen Balazs is might be the Cordrea Tankersley of the 2020 NFL season. I, I hope I'm wrong on that because he has physical traits, but I'm not quite sure that, that he's somebody that's, that, that I have a lot of faith in. I don't know if I'd go as far as saying the Cordero Tigersley. Uh, I think there will be a role for Kalen Balage, but I do think that you're onto something where it will probably be a diminished role as the season goes on, unless a few of those lights seem to come on for Balage here. I mean, don't forget, we're talking about a second-year player, uh, one that did flash some impressive traits last year, and not in the fake way that Cordrea Tankersley did at times. I don't see any alarming 
regression out of him. I just don't think he's been getting it done thus far. And let's face it, he's he's running behind an offensive line that they're still probably trying to figure out who the hell is going to start week one. So uh, I'm not going to totally tear Kalen DeBlage down here, but he does need to step it up. Let's move on to the wide receiver and tight end unit here. <clears throat> We've talked about Kenny Stills. He had a couple of catches. Preston Williams started opposite him because Devontae Parker did not play. Surprise, surprise. Albert Wilson did not play. Jakeem Grant did not play. No catches for Preston Wilson again, or, or excuse me, Preston Williams again. But on the opening drive, he did get open for what should have been a first down, and Ryan Fitzpatrick just missed him really goes into the inaccuracy that we've seen Isaiah Ford. That's going to be really one of these 50, 50 guys on this roster because he makes, he, he made a 38 yard catch downfield. He got creative. He gets separation. And I think he gets separation pretty routinely. The biggest thing working against Ford is that he's not that gunner on special teams, which a lot of times you got to be to be that fifth or sixth receiver. So, you know, looking at this, this is the first time, Paul, that I'm going to have a sixth receiver making the roster. Uh, as of right now, if there are no trades, you know, I've got Kenny Stills, Albert Wilson, Devontae Parker, Jakeem Grant, Preston Williams, and Isaiah Ford as my sixth guy. Um, I know you had Trent, Trent Irwin on the 53 in, a, I think, a couple of weeks ago. Are you going to keep five or six receivers? I'm keeping six. I'm with you on Isaiah Ford. He, you you remember he was on my initial 53-man, kind of fell off, uh, given the rise and fall of a few others. But I am sneaking him back in there because I really, really, really like the chemistry I saw between him and Josh Rosen. There was something impressive there, and it's worth exploring a little further. Moving along to tight end, finally we saw the Mike Kosicki that – showcase those those wide receiver type abilities at Penn State. I mean, really an impressive game from him. Three catches, 59 yards, got open, and his 19-yard catch downfield in traffic is a catch that I've been waiting to see. So this might be a sign that he's getting it a little bit. He's blocking a little better. I'm still going to pump the brakes on him because I, I like some other tight ends on the roster. And it, I'm just not quite there with him yet, but he, he did showcase that ability finally. So at the tight end spot, I've got three tight ends making it. I've got Mike Kosicki, Durham Smythe, and Nick O'Leary. And I've got to throw out some props to you on this because you've had really Dwayne Allen not making the team from the beginning. And I've got to say I'm finally there now. I, I, I've got to see him getting cut at this point. Yeah, I, <laughs> uh, I gotta I gotta rib you a little bit on this one because there was one play in the game where Dwayne Allen went in motion and just completely whiffed on a block as a blocking tight end, and I just went, yeah, I actually said out loud, and Sarah gave me a funny look. I went, "Do you see it now, Cat? Do 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 you see it? God, he sucks." <laughs> I mean, he's a 29-year-old blocking tight end who's undersized with a pot belly. I mean, even though it was Josh Allen, who was the seventh overall pick, who should have been the fourth overall pick to the Raiders, still. I mean, Dwayne Allen showed nothing 
he wasn't good last year with the Patriots. I never understood the signing. I say just give the guy his million dollars, let him right off into the sunset on there. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you on that. So do you have three tight ends making the roster as well? I do. Clive Wolford has fallen back off the roster for me. Yeah, and it's it's a shame because I think in another year that he'd be he'd make a promising third tight end. But yeah, we seem to be on the same page on that one. Offensive line, it's you know it seems to be the same story every week. I mean, I think Michael Dieter had a had a pretty good game in this. I mean, Pro Football Focus ranked him very very high in this game. I didn't quite see that. I mean, I I thought he missed a lot of blocks, especially in space. Um, Shaq Calhoun is a problem at right guard and it's a sh- and he he shouldn't be a starting right guard in the NFL. He's an undrafted free agent who has just done okay. Um Jesse Davis uh, got run around by Josh Allen too. Overall, you know, I- I'm interested to see what Jesse Davis does at the right tackle position this year. I mean, if he's even a middle of the pack guy like a Chris Hubbard for example for the Cleveland Browns who is who's big, who can run block, and is at least decent enough in pass protection, then I think that that's a plus right there. Um, but it's really pretty obvious that, that the starting five on opening day are going to be Tunzel at left tackle, Dieter at left guard, Kilgore at center, Calhoun at right guard, Jesse Davis at right tackle. And it's it's pretty obvious too that Chris Reed's going to make the team as a backup center guard and Isaiah Prince. I think there's too much potential to cut there. He makes it as the seventh guy, the eighth and maybe even ninth offensive lineman. And I think the dolphins are going to be scouring the, the the offensive line waiver wire as we get past the first round of cuts here. Um, but I've got Jared Jones Smith, making the team as the eighth guy because I, I see him cutting Jordan Mills. I see him cutting Zach Stirrup, who is terrible in this game. And at least Jared Jones Smith, even though he was pretty bad, at least there are good, good reports coming out of camp with him. He's massive. He's got a 36 inch wingspan and he's only in his second year just by default. That's the best that I can say about any of these backup tackles. So I've got him as the eighth guy. Yeah. And for the ninth guy, I don't know if you have nine, but I, I, I did. I, I put Aaron Montero in there. It's He kind of had some rough moments in this game, but he also had a couple of moments where he stood out for me a little bit. And I'm just – I'm a little bit intrigued. And he's one of those guys that's on my roster in, like, the lightest shade of gray pencil you can put him on with. But I'm going to be keeping an eye out on him in, in the fourth and final preseason game. Yeah, he's got that tackle guard versatility from Boston College, too. And if right now at this point he hasn't looked terrible, then his odds might be pretty decent of making that final roster. So he's somebody, too, that i got to take a closer look at. Defensive line in this game, Leonard Fournette, seven carries for 27 yards, and one of them was on a 12-yard carry where Sam McGuavion had him measured up, uh, whiffed on the tackle, but that's pretty rare from what we've seen from McGuavion, but along the defensive line, you know, I think this has a potential to be a very strong wall. And I've got to throw some kudos out to Charles Harris because in this type of defense, I think when he gets closer to the defensive tackles and he plays more with power than he did 
than he was asked to with speed in this wide nine defense of, of Matt Burke. I, I think he's played a lot better. So I, I'm intrigued now by Charles Harris and thinking it may have just been a poor scheme fit. So I'm looking forward to seeing him a little bit more, but let's go back to the original defensive lineman. You know, we, this is where it get, can get a little bit confusing, but as far as just the pure defensive lineman, I've got six still making the roster, and I, I think this is as clear-cut as you can get, at least from my perspective. Christian Wilkins, Davin Gottschall, Vincent Taylor, Akeem Spence, uh, Adolphus Washington, and, Jer- and uh, Jeremiah Ledbetter. So you're not counting Harris, Carradine, or uh, Nate Orchard as linemen? Or are we counting them as linemen? I'm, um, I'm counting them as edge players, and yeah, sorry. They, they, see, this is where this is where it gets confusing with this front because we're not used to having conversations like that, and I'll I'll, I'll take the blame for that. So I, I've listed the six defensive linemen as the edge guys. I'm keeping Charles Harris, Tank Carradine, Nate Orchard, and Hendricks as my fourth guy along the edge. All right. So, for me, I've got four of the fat guys, right? Let's let's just – I'm going to differentiate that way. Four of the fat guys, and I don't think there's any shock to this this four. Davin Gottschow, Vincent Taylor, Christian Wilkins, and Akeem Spence. As far as these weird flexible edge slash DEs slash whatever's, I do have Tank Carradine. I do have Jonathan Ledbetter. I do have Charles Harris, and I have Nate Orchard. And then anybody else that's classified as a linebacker on a depth chart anywhere, I'm keeping as a linebacker whether I think they're going to be more edge or not. <laughs> so do you have Adolphus, uh, Adolphus Washington making the team, or is he somebody who's on the chop, chopping block for you? He's on the chopping block for me right now. You haven't heard his name a lot recently. He's got a lot of experience. He hasn't played in a 3-4, but, yeah, and thank you for the first name correction there on Ledbetter. Um, so moving to the linebacker spot, pure linebacker spot, where it starts to get a little bit thinner as far as having to explain it, Jerome Baker, Raekwon McMillan, Sam Aguavion, Andrew Van Ginkle, and I've also got them keeping the undrafted free agents in Trey Watson and, and Terrell Hanks. Yeah, I've got Trey Watson. I've got Van Ginkle. Um, and outside of that, Jerome Baker, Rake, and Aguavion, along with uh, Terrell Hanks. It's, you, you remember my very first roster prediction where I said Kiko was probably going to be a last-minute ejection because he just wasn't a fit right now, and I'm still going to stick back to that again. Yeah, and this is the first time I've got to say as well that I do not have Kiko Alonzo making the team, even though he is coming back to practice. You know, uh, and Brian Flores did say that Kiko Alonzo does make plays. and But other than that, yeah, he makes plays. He makes six or seven plays a year. But other than that, he makes 20 or 30 that are stupid. So I, I, I don't see him fitting in this disciplined type of defense that the Dolphins are trying to employ. Defensive back, obviously the Dolphins cut T.J. McDonald. Very good game from Eric Rowe at cornerback, at least in my opinion. He had a great interception. 
yeah, he did let up five catches for 59 yards with a pass interference penalty, but I thought that P.I. could have gone either way. He looks the part at 6'1", 201, and 26 years old. I've got to take back what I said before the year. I didn't like the signing because I didn't think he played very well, but this is a, a guy that could be on the upswing because of that size. So I, I like what Eric Rowe do, did in this game. And at cornerback, I think he starts – opposite Xavier Howard. So you've got Howard, uh, Rowe, and if we're counting Minka as a safety, I've got uh, Wiltz as the third cornerback. The fourth one, I've got Cornell Armstrong uh, making the team too because I think he still is uh, going to be one of those mainstays on special teams. And I I'm very disappointed that he hasn't gotten more looks at the, at the corner spot. Um, and my fifth guy is actually going to be somebody I've made fun of for the last month, and that's Chris Lammons, because this was a player that we never talked about but was on the Dolphins practice squad last year. So I, 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 see, I see them making the team. And then at safety, you've got Bobby McCain, Rashad Jones, um, Hardage, Walt Aikens there at that, at that safety spot. I think I might be missing one, too. But I'll throw it over to you, Paul. Um, how many defensive backs do you see the Dolphins keeping? Uh, All right, I'm breaking. I'm I'm breaking this up between corners and safeties at this point. I mean, I know we've got a couple of hybrids out there, but I've definitely got Rowe. I mean, as you said, he did step in this game. I, I liked what I saw at Cornell in this game, which you know I've been a Cornell fan from the beginning. Um, and Lamons, it's I mean, he's a guy that jumped out to me a couple of weeks ago, and just really just from the very first opening salvo of this game showed why he needs to be on this roster. Um, so, I mean, I've got Lamons on there and, and Jamal Wiltz continues to impress and seem to be a rising stud at the position for the safety position. Obviously I've got Rashad Jones, Bobby McCain, Minka Fitzpatrick, Walt Aikens, and I still can't bring myself to put Hardage on the roster, even though you know I like the guy. I just – I don't know what it is. Yeah, and Hardage has not stuck out all that much, but I think it's more of what he's done in practice. And Brian Flores made a quote several times, and he made a strong one over the last week, where he said that if Bobby McCain went down, that Hardage would step in at that safety spot. And that's a pretty strong comment about an undrafted free agent, especially when you do still have Walt Aikens on the roster, who's been in the league for several years. And you had at the time TJ McDonald on the roster too. So I, I think that those are strong enough words for me to think that Hardage makes the team as one of the last guys. I, I don't think he's a lock, but I, I feel pretty confident about that. And special teams, obviously no brainer on that. Jason Sanders, Matt Hawk, and John Denny. But there's also a possibility, too, Matt Hawk gets axed for a different punter. But he did have a good game against the Jaguars, too. It, he just always seems to be up and down there for the punter. So, Paul, finally, we've gone through a lot here in the show, obviously. <laughs> I think we've bitten off a little bit more than we can chew. Looking at the final game against the New Orleans Saints, where – Decisions are really going to be made about the final few roster spots. What are a couple of who are a couple of players you're looking at 
that that really need to step up to solidify a spot on this team. I mean, I'm still going to look at that that final wide receiver spot a little bit, see who battles it out and shows up when when push comes to shove here. But we know, I know we've got Isaiah Ford on there. I think Preston Williams does need to play in this one and and kind of redeem himself for the past two games. Uh, at this point, I mean, he had such a stud first game, such a stud off season, and really hasn't lived up to that the past two two games. So hopefully he gets a chance to get in there and get a few meaningful snaps and and really solidify himself as everything we saw previously. Uh, along the offensive line, again, I want to see a little more Isaiah Prince and see a little bit more growth from him. I, I, I obviously have him as a lock already for making this roster, but I just want to see him get a little bit of game live fire experience. Uh, Aaron Montero, who I mentioned before, I want to see if the little flashes I saw were anything real uh, in this game. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I'd love to see some of these young linebackers step up and really force the Dolphins' hand when it comes to Kiko Alonso, as well as I'd really like to see Jalen Davis have a good game in this one um, and, and really – earn himself a roster spot because this is a young kid. It is somebody that I really like, but I think has regressed a little bit and needs to have that big moment to get on this roster. Yeah. The three players I'm really looking at is to have a good game and solidify a spot on this team. First, Jared Jones Smith. I mean, he, we made fun of him in the Bucks game. You know, because he let up a couple of sacks. I mean, I, I think a few things he got blamed for weren't his fault. But at least for him, I see the physical potential. And he's only in his second year. I know Jordan Mills and Zach Starrup suck. I, I, I don't need to see any more of them. So I'm hoping Jones Smith can be that swing man at left tackle, right tackle, and, and have a good game. At cornerback, I'm right there with you on Jalen Davis. I, I think he's better than he's been playing this August. And when he got on the field last year, finally, he, uh, I think at 15 snaps, he had, what, a forced fumble, a sack, and, and a pass breakup in 15 snaps in his final game of the year. I want to see a little bit more of that, and I think there is room here as the sixth or seventh defensive back. And also, Terrell Hanks. He seems to be that guy that I keep putting on the roster, taking off the roster, putting on, taking off. He only got in on a few snaps the last game. But when he got in, he had a great forced fumble on Gardner Minshew, the quarterback. And, it, I mean, he he sniffed out the play, got the quarterback in the backfield, took and took it and ripped the ball out and could have been returned for a touchdown. So he's somebody that I think, again, we've talked about him in the past. Back in February, if he didn't run the slow 40 time, I think the guy would have been a third or fourth round draft pick. So I, I, I hope he – either makes the roster or gets back on the practice squad. Paul, anything else you want to add on to the, to the show we've had tonight? I know we've gone through quite a bit. Yeah, no, I, I just want to add a little bit to that Terrell Hanks bit because I thought he had a good game on special teams in this one. And one of the things I really, really like about the bottom end of this Dolphins roster and the way Chris Greer has built it is he's got a lot of talented players, but also a lot of talented players that can play special teams, which is such a critical critical third facet of football that tends to go overlooked at times when, when people build rosters out there. So I really like what Miami has in that special teams quiver 
for uh, based on what I what I see making this roster. So Terrell Hanks is one though that I think has started to show his value there as well. Yeah, and when you look at the bottom of this roster, now we did a whole segment on our undrafted free agents. I encourage our listeners to go back and listen to that because it, it doesn't seem like physically any much has changed in those undrafted free agents. And we could end up seeing, you know, at least five are guaranteed to make this roster. We could see as many as eight or nine. And that's what I wanted to see players like Kiko Alonso and Dwayne Allen getting pushed off the bottom of this, this depth chart in a season like this, where we want to see those younger players stepping up and seeing who's going to be here for the long term. That will do it for our breakdown of a lot. The Dolphins Jaguars game, our updated 53 man roster prediction and a few other ongoing situations here with the Miami Dolphins. This is going to be our last show here until we break down the Dolphins 53 man roster which is going to take place and be finalized here over the next week after the New Orleans Saints game. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Spreaker, iTunes, YouTube, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Check out our merch store on thefinside.threadless.com. And if it's not on the right side and it's not on the left side, it is on the fin side. Solo D, take us home. It ain't the left side or the right side, then it must be the fin side. It ain't the left side or the right side, and it must be the fin Listen, Dolphins fans across the land all tuning in to see what Brian Cat and Paul about to do again. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.